Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. We have a very special treat today, Mark. Some, many of you won't know Mark, but he's a regular part of our Saturday night service. And uh, we're thrilled to have him come and speak for us today. And uh, he's a Pentecostal background coming to talk to us about the Holy Spirit. So we're very thrilled about that. And uh, Mark, come on up. Thanks for bringing us the word this morning. Yes, my name's Mark. Um, um, I went to an AOG seminary and um, for my sins... um, I was pastoring a Pentecostal church for a while. Um, so I, I don't know why that's the reason why I was chosen to do this particular topic, but um, we'll see how it goes. Um, or it could just be that I'm a cheap date. <laughs> and uh, Paul knows that very well. <laughs> so um, I've been asked to talk to you today about the Feast of Pentecost, a uh, very pivotal um, Bible story in the New Testament. So... Um, I'll just start out by saying that straight away the, the Israeli feast of Pentecost was a, was a harvest festival. It was a wheat festival. So uh, I'm not a farmer, neither am I a son of a farmer, but I have sent a few kids out to do some rice farming in Cambodia and Thailand and I've done a little bit of, of it myself and it's, and it's really, really hard work. So I can imagine in my mind's eye that this would have been a great time of celebration for for a farmer. So the Feast of Pentecost is is this Israelite harvest festival. So uh, if we can look to the the Old Testament first and then we'll bring in the New Testament or what the New Testament's got to say about this and how it's used there. And so the, the, the main scripture is Leviticus and it'll appear up on the PowerPoint at the back. Um, and it's Leviticus 23, and it's verse 15 through... Oh, sorry, I'll go through the table first. I'm going to jump to jump the gun again, Paul. Um, so as we can see, we've been going through a bit of a series on the feast of Israel, and so um, Peter did a passable job on the Passover, um, and then Mike came and did a fantastic job on the unleavened bread, uh, which is really good because preaching about sin is really, really hard. And um, I wasn't here for the first fruits, so I have no idea who did that. And so I'm here to do the Pen- Pentecost, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So if we can turn back to that Leviticus power, uh, that Leviticus scripture, uh, this, is the, this is the core of what God asks the Israelites to do. Uh, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, and you shall count 50 days to the day of the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering, a new grain to the Lord. So the 50 days is where we get the Pentecost thing from. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved. So literally you would wave something uh, before the Lord, made of two-tenths of an ephah. I have no idea what an ephah is. I think it's a weight or a measurement. And they shall be a fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. So here's 
Back in the, in the unleavened bread ceremony, you were told to remove the yeast out, but in this one they're told to put the yeast in because it's about abundance. It's also mentioned in Exodus and in, and in Deuteronomy as well, and it appears to be a very important sacrifice and feast to be done in the temple. So you come to the temple and you, you would present this before the Lord. So think time of abundance. Think time of abundance. But the people are being told by God that it's, it's great to celebrate the abundance of the harvest, but in the midst of that, celebrate me as well. So we, we, we fast forward to uh, about a thousand years later and to the New Testament. And the disciples are sitting in a room and they have witnessed their Lord being crucified on a cross. They have had the pure joy of his resurrection. Then they've experienced the, um, uh, oh, I would, uh, you know, the, the amazing thing that Jesus is ascending to heaven. Now, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Uh, but he tells them before he goes that they're to wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, they're gathered in this locked upper room and it's locked because they're, af- they're afraid that the people who killed Jesus were going to come for them. There's, yeah, there, there's tension in the air. So it's then that God chooses to do this amazing intervention into these people and also into us as well. So... Uh, we come to Acts chapter 2, which is our key pivotal scripture for today, and uh, I'll be coming, jumping in and out of Acts chapter 2. So it appears up on the screen, yeah. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were staying, sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So our our Lord chooses Pentecost to send the Spirit. And verse 4 says what the actual, what's going on here. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled in some way with the Holy Spirit. They were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues. So... The Holy Spirit has has invaded our world in this moment. He's invaded our world. And he's come to dwell in his people, in in the redeemed humans that he's created by his death and resurrection. So before we sort of come back and look at this um, and, and how it affects us in here, I think we need to understand that there are things about this story that are, there are layers to it from the Old Testament. And I, I'm a teacher, so I, I do this all the time. So please allow me to digress a little bit. Um, there are layers to this story that are really, really quite important. And um, they actually add meaning to what's going on here. Um, so it's a, I, I like, it's a food, I, I like to use food metaphors because I like to eat. So what you've got here in this passage is you can look at it as like a trifle. We've got layers of goodness. 
And, like, you can look at the thing at the surface and that's really good. At the surface, this is an amazing story. But then you look at it from the side and you start bringing in what the Old Testament's got to say about this, the background of it, and the layers of goodness keep getting on and keep going on and on. But let's have a look at... I'm going to bring out three of these layers. Uh, Not exhaustive, but these are three that really came out to me as I was reading about this. Uh, The tongues of fire is important in the Old Testament, from the Old Testament. Tongues of fire are really important. Um, Is there somewhere in the Old Testament where God reveals himself through fire? Yes. Yes, indeed. Many times. There are about three of the great moments are in Exodus 3.2. Moses is up shepherding sheep. And he's confronted with Yahweh in the form of a burning bush. It appears to be on fire, but it's not. And then in Exodus 31, 13, 21 and 22, Yahweh, Yahweh still shows his love to a people who just committed idolatry. You read this story. They just committed idolatry with a golden calf. And Yahweh provides this pillar of fire at night and a pearl of cloud in the day. And then in 1 Kings 18.38, an amazing story, uh, Elijah the prophet challenges the prophets of Baal to a duel and come and we're going to sacrifice and God's going to come down and, and um, consume the altar, uh, the sacrifice on the, off, on the altar. And you guys over here, you can do the same with your God Baal and we'll see who wins. And, of course, Yahweh wins. Yahweh wins by coming down and consuming the altar in a big explosion of fire. So the tongues of fire is really important. And the Jews in that room would have known that because these are guys that have got the Old Testament running around their head. Just another illustration of how we need to read the Old Testament so that we can get a full interpretation of what's going on in the New. The other layer of meaning here is really actually really important as well. It's the rushing wind, the rushing wind. There's a place in the Old Testament where, is there a place in the Old Testament where God is portrayed as wind or breath? And yes, indeed, there is. Actually, in the first two verses of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, and the breath of God or the ruach of God or the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in Ezekiel, we have this classic story where the Ezekiel, the prophet, is told by Yahweh to breathe on the dry bones in a valley and suddenly they start to come alive. They're resurrected from the dead. So catch the symbolism. And these guys in the room at the Feast of Pentecost would have known this symbolism because they got this story running around their head all the time. In Genesis, God breathes on the new creation, creating the world bringing order out of chaos, bringing order. In Ezekiel, the God through the prophet breathes on dead people and they start to live. They resurrect. And in Acts, God breathes into a room of scared people meeting behind a locked room and they're changed. They're transformed. A new new humanity is created in the process. Isn't that what happens when a human being today comes to the Lord? exactly what happens when a human being comes to the Lord today. When you come forward, you might not know what 
what's happening to you, but your life is transformed on the inside because Holy Spirit breathes on you, breathes into you life, breathes into eternal life, actually. So from that moment forward, even though you may die and you will die, you've got eternal life. Amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? It's amazing. To me, this is like the, the point of all this. Now we come to the speaking in tongues part. Again, there's an Old Testament background to this. Uh, the first mention of languages in the Old Testament is Genesis 11, verse 7, where God comes down to confuse the people who have built this huge building to try and reach God by their own efforts. So build a big building and um, try to get God to come down and see them and, and by their own effort. So he confuses them by splitting them off into a language groups. Then God again judges his own people, Israel, for their idolatry and sin by sending them to the nations through exile. But now in Acts 2, with all these people from everywhere gathered around, he gives them the gift of languages to actually start preaching the gospel to these people in their own languages. And so what's going on here is that the curse has been lifted. God is lifting the curse off our lives and he's, and he's imparting a blessing on us now. So we don't live in a curse anymore. Your lives are not cursed and my life's not cursed anymore. Now I say all of this to put all that layers on there because when we start talking about this Acts chapter 2 verse, uh, I know what some of you would have thought because I've been there and done this a few times. And you would have thought weird. You would have thought weird. And it can be weird, especially in my part of the world where I came from in Pentecost. I've seen some weird stuff done over in churches. Weird. I could keep you in one moment. I, I was at a Pentecostal meeting here in another church down South Street. And um, I was there with my lovely wife, Pauline. And um, the assistant pastor, the, the Michael role, he started barking like a dog. And I looked at my wife and I thought, oh, it's time to get out of here. And the church didn't, they just reacted like it was like normal for him to do that. It was, it was weird. It was weird for me as a Pentecostal and I've seen a bit. Um, so unfortunately with Acts 2, we often, it often becomes a text that people argue about and people ignore it. If it becomes argumentative and debating, people forget, people ignore it, and then they don't get the point of what's going on here. And, and I'm a Pentecostal, and I'm here to tell you that tongues is not the main point of Acts chapter 2. It's way down, this, way down the list. The real point here is what the Holy Spirit is doing and what the people who are actually receiving the transformation in their life, that's the main point. Yeah, that's the main point. Okay? So don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I, I've met people in, in churches, not, not Pentecostal churches, but other churches. In fact, I was having dinner with someone last year uh, who's been in a Baptist church 
not our Baptist church, but another Baptist church. And um, when she found out I was Pentecostal and spoke in tongues, she, um, she was peppering me with all these questions because she'd never been taught about the Holy Spirit. And, and she, it, it just not entered her mind and, and intellectual worldview to regard the Holy Spirit as part of her inheritance as well. So it, it is for all of us here. Not, it's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a Baptist thing. It's for everyone. Um, it, it's part of our heritage. But as I sort of bring this to a close, uh, there are a couple of things that are really, really um, important by way of application. Yeah. Okay. To this this famous story in Acts chapter two. First of all, and this is probably the most amazing thing of all, God comes to live in you and in me. That's what Paul calls it being in Christ. It's actually when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and transforms you from the inside out. You know, I knew what I was like, and then he comes back into me and transforms me and completely changes the, the whole progress of my life. And it's from that moment when I, when I came to him as an 18-year-old. And, and that's what happens to all of us. Here's what Jesus says about it in John chapter 14, verse 23. Said Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Okay? This is Jesus himself promising to come and make his home with us. Well, how does he do that? Well, he comes through his Holy Spirit. He comes to us through his Holy Spirit. So when you, when you come to Christ, your deepest desire then becomes to keep his word, to do things that are pleasing to him. And then, then, then Jesus comes and lives in us with, through, his, through his Holy Spirit. That's what being in Christ means. He comes in temples with us. He comes in tabernacles with us. Um, so, you know, you, you become a walking, talking temple of the living God. Everywhere you go, you know, that, that's, you become the walking, talking intersection between heaven and earth. And it's because the Holy Spirit's come to live in you and dwell in you. Do you actually believe that? Amen? This is the amazing thing, and it's really hard to preach, but do we actually believe it? You know, this is the amazing thing about this teaching theology like this. It's so huge, it's so enormous that in our everyday life, do we actually go out and actually believe it and walk it out? Secondly, another, this is another powerful point. Secondly, the Holy Spirit in us is a deposit of something greater that's coming. He's a deposit. He's a guarantee. So here's how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also, in him you also, when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's a day coming for all of us. I'm, I'm looking, longing for it's a day of glory. It's coming for all of us when, when Christ will come and fulfill every one of our dreams. It's called our inheritance. Called our inheritance. And the Holy Spirit's presence in us is the guarantee of that. It's a guarantee. In fact, he's the one that says to us, he constantly is whispering in our ear that this world is not quite right, that there's something wrong with this world and that it needs to be changed. And it's the Holy Spirit telling us, whispering in our ear, that things will get better when Jesus returns to this earth. Do you sense it? Sense it every day. Like I sense it now, I'm 52 years old. I probably didn't sense as much when I was 20, but now as I get older and older and older, I'm starting to starting very much feel that I'm, I'm longing for the better day to come. Thirdly, he empowers us for our service right now in this earth. Case in point is the disciples who first received this message. Um, Peter was, was not a happy chappy after the resurrection of Jesus. Every one of his behaviour tells us that, that he, was, he was going home, he was going fishing, he was doing everything else but encountering uh, his Lord and, and, and working out what went wrong. So here we have here in this guy Peter the evidence of a transformed life. It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and 17. Listen to this guy. He's, he, listen to what he, what he does, all right? This, this takes a lot of guts, right, in that circumstance. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he said, men of Judea, people of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Now imagine the scene what's going on here. He didn't have time to do a prepared message. He didn't have one of these in front of him. He, he had... This event had happened on him by surprise. And instantaneously he's transformed into this amazing preacher who gives this amazing sermon in the midst of this sort of city that's aflame with religious tension and passions. And he just comes out with this great sermon. How does that happen? Well, it happens because the Holy Spirit transforms us on the inside. It, it, it turns us into a changed man or a changed person or a changed woman. We no longer he no longer fears men or death. There's no locked doors anymore. No locked doors anymore. My last one, and I will be closing on this one, is that the Holy Spirit is our comforter 
in our painful moments. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 26. The key word here is helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. There's a beautiful word here in Greek that Jesus uses. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not like Peter who can speak Greek. Um, But it's really easy to look this stuff up nowadays. Uh, It's not that hard, and I can show you how if you want to do it a bit later. Uh, It's the word parakletos or paraclete, and it's a legal word, and I've heard this preached a few times, and they leave it only in the legal world. But actually the word is a lot more beautiful than that. It actually means someone who knows you so intimately that when you have the bad moments in your life, the traumas, the griefs, the heartaches of life, they know you so well that they can come alongside you and make the best decisions in your life. That's what it means in the actual context. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit is doing that role for us. This is amazing. This is amazing, especially when you're going through traumatic moments, when you're going through griefs of life. This is the amazing thing about his role here. Because we all have our traumas in life. We all have our griefs. We all have our pains. We all have our moments when life is, like, let's let be honest, pretty crappy. So how does he do that role? And so this is where I'm, I'm, I'm getting a bit personal here because I've known this, I've lived this for the last year. But... He, he does it by not taking away the emotions. He does it by not taking away the grief and he doesn't take the pain away um, because the Holy Spirit in me knows that I need to grieve and he knows that I need to cry and I need to, and I need to call out and I need to get angry actually sometimes. But, but this is what he does, what he does. He listens to me through the cries. He listens to me through the tears of our lives. And then he starts to breathe on me, on us. And he, and he starts to bring things, causing us to remember. Remember, remember, remember. This is not the end of the story. This is not the end game. Not the end game. So therefore, all the questions of why that we have in the midst of our traumas of life, they're not the end of the story. The why question is not the end of the story. The end of the story is that I will all the grief and the pain will go. That's the end of the story. Here's a scripture that's been very, very important to me in the last year. Revelation 21.4. It's one of those scriptures that, um, that um, I have read thousands of times, many, many times. And to be brutally frank, I don't think I quite got it until it happened. Here's what it says. 
he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. This is the context of the new kingdom. And there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. The Holy Spirit whispers to me that this is not the end of the story. So my point today has not been to be controversial about Pentecost because there's a lot of issues that I could have preached about that would be controversial and that's not really my place here to do that, you know. Um, I, I would just like to invite you, and I think Mike's going to finish, come and finish up in a minute, I'd just like to invite you into your heritage, which is the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't have to be weird and it doesn't have to be, um, you know, strange. It's just an invitation to, to explore what the Holy Spirit has for you in your life. Okay? Amen? Let's pray. And we'll, um, well, I think there's another song to sing. Two songs. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit today. We thank you that you have intervened in our life, in our lives, and that, oh God, your intervention has changed the whole circumstances of our life, the whole future of our planet. And we thank you that you're with us today. We thank you that you're empowering us for service. We thank you that in the midst of our pains and our sufferings and our grievings and traumas, you are a paraclete who knows us so well that you are making the right calls on our behalf. So, Lord, I thank you so much. I pray for these beautiful people, a blessing over them. May they come to know the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.